Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Hey, well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. We've got a jam-packed show for you this week. I want to start... A number of you have emailed me and hit me on Twitter at SB Radio about uh, why we are not doing a weekly podcast anymore. And the answer to that is, quite frankly, we need sponsors. So if we're going to do a weekly podcast, it takes time to produce it. And we've got to have some sponsors. So if you are listening to the show and you're interested in being a sponsor and we've got bargain basement prices for you, let me tell you. But if you're interested in being associated with our brand and being a sponsor of our podcast, please do email me at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at sportsbusinessradio.com. We'd love to go back to being a weekly podcast, but right now it is quite simply not in the budget, so we'll probably become more of a monthly podcast. But when we do podcast, if we are in the monthly format, we will bring you loads and loads of information like we've got for you this week. Here's what's coming up on the podcast this week. Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports, he covers the NFL, will look back on the first few rounds of the NFL draft. Who were the movers and shakers? What happened in the first round? We'll talk to Jason Cole about that. Rand Gatlin, also of Yahoo Sports, he's an investigative reporter. What a bombshell piece he had this week with Adrian Wojnarowski, who covers the NBA for Yahoo Sports. Billy Hunter, NBA Players Association executive director, funneled $17 million worth of business to family members. That was exposed through the Rand Gatlin, Adrian Wojnarowski piece. We'll talk to Rand Gatlin about that piece in detail. Akili Smith, former Oregon Duck quarterback, former NFL quarterback. Some people would label him an NFL draft bust. We caught up with him. We talked about the NFL. And we also talked about the story that was in ESPN the magazine about the weed at the University of Oregon. Is it really as prevalent as that article made it sound? We'll get some insight from Akili Smith. Our resident sports psychologist, Dr. Paul Dennis, will join me, and we'll talk about Ron Artest. I can't call him world peace because what he did last week was not peaceful. He's received a seven-game suspension, but we will try and climb inside the mind of Ron Artest with Dr. Paul Dennis, our uh, resident sports psychologist, coming up in the show. Morgan Baer, who is the general manager of a great company called Casal US, they are a women's apparel company, we'll talk to her. And then wrapping it up, Lisa Guerrero. Lisa Guerrero was kind of Aaron Andrews before there was Aaron Andrews. She was a sideline reporter for Monday Night Football. She did some great work in the sports space. She was on the Best Damn Sports Show. She's now a correspondent for Inside Edition. She's made the uh, transition from sports to news. She's involved in a number of other things. She's married to former Major League Baseball pitcher Scott Erickson, who's now coaching in the Cleveland Indian system. We will catch up with Lisa Guerrero during the show today. A reminder, go to 
sportsbusinessradio.com. You can find our podcast. You can find our Twitter feed, our Facebook feed. All of that information is there for you at sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm Brian Berger. Along with Brian Griggs, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. It's time, baby. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. All right, Brian Berger, back with you, joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. So NFL draft, lots goes on around the draft. Obviously, you've got two networks covering it. ESPN, the NFL Network, um, all kinds of promotions and um, things like that. Verizon streams it live on mobile phones. But, you know, one of the big pieces of news this week, Griggs, is that Megatron, Calvin Johnson, is the cover athlete for Madden 2013. He beats out Cam Newton. But this is one of those things where... There's a jinx with the Madden cover. I don't know if you actually want to win this thing. I, I hope Megatron doesn't get hurt. Isn't that funny that a video game has become this big, like, oh, no, I don't want to be on the cover. I'm going to lose my career. I'm going to hurt my leg. I'm going to do something. It's kind of funny that it's, it's come to that point. But, yeah, you're right. It is. It's like this this curse of being on there. And, honestly, I thought Newton was going to win that one pretty easily. But it's kind of surprising to me that, that uh, Johnson got it. But we'll see what happens with it. It's to the point where Aaron Rodgers, he was one of the uh, finalists for this, or semi-finalists. He actually tweeted out that he was relieved that he was eliminated, because, <laughs> you know, now he probably doesn't get hurt, because he's not going to have the cover jinx. Exactly. It's just, it's crazy that, that a video game has got to that point, but that game is so highly successful that you see why is a big deal. Um, Billy Hunter, we're going to talk about this with Rand Gatlin coming up in the show, but this was a bombshell story, and you know, if you haven't been following this, Billy Hunter is the executive director of the NBA Players Association. You've got Derek Fisher, who's the president of the union. And the Billy Hunter-led contingent has tried to oust Derek Fisher. And they voted 8 nothing last week to out him. But he hasn't left, and he's been calling for an internal investigation. Well, now we know why. Because if you look at the books, like Yahoo Sports did, you see that $17 million of union money, of players' money, has been filtered to Billy Hunter's family and to uh, legal firms and uh, 
financial institutions that they're associated with. What a conflict of interest here, Griggs. And I can't see how Billy Hunter is the executive director of the NBA union much longer. It's just like the song said, mo money, mo problems. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The richer you get, the more you see these behind the scenes stuff start popping up and filtering money here. And, uh, you know, the offsite came in bank accounts you always hear about in the movies. And it's just, uh, it's crazy. But yeah, it's uh, kind of a shocker. I mean, I didn't see this happening to like a Billy Hunter type, but apparently... uh, He's in the business of moving money. <laughs> I guess so, and moving it to his family yeah. in, a, in a big way. Something else that's been discussed this week, uh, the leaders of the BCS, Bill Hancock, who's been on this show, many athletic directors, um, Notre Dame, which is an independent, obviously, and then um, you know, there's been some beginning conversations with the TV networks. They're talking about, do we change the BCS format as it currently exists? What's been discussed is a four-team playoff, but... As this TV deal and those negotiations uh, get closer and closer, and it doesn't expire till 2014, but they're starting to talk about it now, much like they did with the NCAA basketball tournament, um, we may see some changes to the format. And, you know, as we've said on the show all along, I'm for a playoff, and I'd like to see a 16-team playoff if not an 18 playoff, but even if it's a 14 playoff, it's a step in the right direction because the system we have now, I don't think it works. No, I don't think it works too. And it's it's encouraging they're talking. I don't know that it's going to be some big, you know, earth shattering decision they come to, but I think they're finally getting around to the point, hey, we need to do something about this. And I think that's a good sign. I think it's, like I said, I think it's going to take more than just uh, one or two meetings here. It's going to be a process. I mean, because it's a big deal to, to put all those teams into a playoff type format, but I think it's going to be better for football if they can get it done. Last thing we'll talk about here in headlines is, you know, I know this is a a little bit of old news, but Bobby Petrino, so he gets fired at Arkansas. Jeff Long, the AD, I thought, made a a courageous move there, uh, fired him with cause. Petrino loses $18 million of money remaining on his contract because he was fired with cause. And this all stems from, you know, he was in a motorcycle accident. He has a press conference. He doesn't tell the truth. He leaves out the details that he was having an affair with someone who worked for him that he gave a $20,000 payment to. And then Jeff Long goes out and hires John L. Smith, who used to be an assistant to Petrino, had gone to Weber State four and a half months ago, never coached a game at Weber State, and then returns to Arkansas. So... This story's got all kinds of layers to it. One of the things I don't like about it is, you know, John L. Smith goes to Weber State, never coaches a game there. And you've got coaches like Bo Ryan, the basketball coach at Wisconsin, saying, hey, my basketball players can't transfer, but coaches can transfer before they ever coach a game with the team they committed to. Then here's the really cool part of this story, too, is Jessica Durrell, the 25-year-old who Petrina was having an affair with. She's since resigned her position at Arkansas. But check this out, Griggs. She gets $20,000 from Petrino. She spends that money on wedding expenses for the guy that she was engaged to. She buys a new car. She takes a vacation. I mean, that's really cool when you're having an affair and you're using the money from the person you're having an affair with to pay for your wedding. I That's wow. Well, I mean, uh, what do you say? This story, what do you say? I mean, <laughs> this story uh, again, another college football disaster, and, and and again, telling the not telling the truth. It's like, I mean, in this world of of media and Twitter and everything, like like no one's going to find out. The cover I mean, up <laughs> is always worse than the crime. Totally. We've said it a million times. We'll say it again. Um, you know, a guy who pretty much fell on the sword, Ozzie Guillen. You know, with the whole. 
uh, Castro comments. I love Fidel Castro to Time Magazine. He knew he was in hot water. He had a press conference. He addressed the media for 45 minutes in Spanish and English. He took his beating like a man. Uh, some people will forgive him, some won't, but at least he met it head on, unlike Bobby Petrino, who forgot to leave out the uh, details of his affair with Jessica Jarrell. And the final thing I'll say on this, Griggs, is I still don't understand how, if she's on the motorcycle with him, why does he look like Freddy Krieger, but she doesn't have a scratch on her? That's still a story that uh, will go down in infamy as far as... Uh, an unresolved mystery. Yeah, that that is a strange one, and it's like, is there a body double where they film in some kind of movie, and there's two of her? I mean, yeah, it's it's a strange, uh, strange story all the way around. But the funniest thing is the how she spent the money on the wedding. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's great <laughs> stuff. All right, coming up next, Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports will talk NFL draft with him. I'm Brian Berger, along with Brian Griggs. You're listening to Sports business radio stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com podcasts blogs and more sbr will be right back sports business radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names my guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Let's go to our resident NFL expert, Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports. Jason, how are you? I am fantastic. What's going on, Brian? Thanks for uh, taking some time. Sure, no problem. So give me your evaluation of the first round last night, the winners, the losers, the surprises. Uh, Surprises, uh, well, winners. uh, I like St. Louis trading down twice. They've got three second-round picks uh, and another third-rounder today. Uh, They need a lot of help. Uh, they didn't get the wide receiver that they really wanted, but I think they're going to take one here with the first pick in the second round, either Reuben Randall or the Hill kid out of, out of Georgia Tech. Uh, I like them stockpiling picks. They've got you know two ex- two first rounders in each of the next two years, in addition to every everything else that they did. Uh, I liked um, the, the Patriots a lot. The two defensive guys to help in their front seven. Because I really thought their defense was horrible last year, even though they made a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, they just got by basically. So they got two guys who are capable of rushing the passer, and High Towers guy who can play both inside linebacker and get down and play defensive end. You know, trading up and finally using some of those picks to get move up in the draft to get stellar defensive players. Really, that's really nice work, I thought, by by the Patriots. Uh, losers, I wasn't real impressed with Tampa Bay moving out of five to go to seven. 
and taking Mark Barron, the safety, uh, when you know Morris Claiborne was still on the board that could have taken. I, I just believe that you always want to take a cornerback before you take a safety, and I just that's that's important. I, I thought Tampa Bay recovered a little bit getting the running back at the end of the first round, but I didn't like the first move. Uh, and Seattle, you know, you got to kind of understand the value of the board. Bruce Irvin is not exactly a guy who, you know. It should have been a first-round draft pick. I mean, I don't think anybody else is going to take that guy. And maybe you like him, but, yeah, I know you moved back once and got him, but, man, keep moving back or take some other kind of player and figure out another way to get Bruce Irvin some other way because I don't think anybody's going to touch him until maybe the late 20s and probably more, more likely the 30s. Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports, he covers the NFL. He's joining us. What do you think about what Cleveland did with giving up picks to move up to three to get Trent Richardson? If that's the guy you really love, I don't have a problem with that because I think it was a four, a five, and a seven. You know, they had, I think, 13 picks going into yesterday. You're not going to use all those guys. So if you've got a guy who you know can be a bell cow running back for the next five to six years – and and really be a centerpiece for you. And look, they have no skill position people that that scare anybody. So at least get the Richardson kid and get yourself started. Uh, I, I I like that pick. I don't have a problem giving up the the couple extra draft picks that they had to give up to to move up one spot. It prevented Tampa Bay from doing a similarly cheap trade to move up to that spot and all of a sudden steal Richardson out from underneath them. And that would have really been costly because. You know, Cleveland Harry watched Robert Griffin III get stolen out from underneath him when Washington, you know, jumped him to move up to the St. Louis pick. So I don't think Cleveland could have uh, endured being jumped twice in this draft. So um, I, I like that. The Whedon pick, I'm not a big fan of Whedon, um, but I understand the value, and he's certainly better than Colt McCoy. So I, I, I understand that attempt to get an upgraded quarterback. Do you think there's a market for Colt McCoy? I mean, we're hearing talk that the Browns may try and move him. Is there any market for him? Well, if you, look, if you can get a fourth-round pick for Tim Tebow, you got to be able to get something for Colt McCoy. That's a good point. What about yeah. Justin Blackman to Jacksonville? That was an interesting landing spot for him. Yeah, I like that because, again, you're if you just drafted a quarterback, and I was just talking with somebody about what Tennessee did and taking Kendall Wright at number 20, I said, when you take a quarterback, the thing that you need to do is you need to back up that guy with weapons. You need to make his job easier so that he can do bigger, better things. And so, you know, don't surround him with a bunch of mediocre parts. Do what the Patriots did in 2007. Go get real players to surround Tom Brady. In this case, get real players to surround Blaine Gabbert and make the job easier. You know, Justin Blackman, best receiver on the board, jumped up and got that guy. I, I like that move. You know, it goes along with, uh, you know, they, they signed uh, Laurent Robinson in the offseason, a wide receiver. You know, that that's helping your quarterback make the job simpler for him. Second best receiver in the draft, Michael Floyd from Notre Dame, goes to Arizona. You've got some pretty lethal weapons there at the wideout slot now with Floyd and uh, Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, they should be able to score some points. And if Kevin Cobb can't take advantage of that that pair of wide receivers, um, then he has no excuses, basically. And they'll, they'll be moving on to John Skelton pretty quickly. But, yeah, you got to like uh, being able to throw the ball to Fitzgerald and Floyd, and the F&F brothers, basically. 
Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports joining us. Jason, what do you think about the Cowboys moving up to six and then taking Morris Claiborne? I mean, I like the move because they got the best corner on the board. They got a guy who everybody feels really comfortable about. That was the last basically premier player on the board, I thought. And I, I think that that was, that was solid. I mean, yeah, they gave up a second-round pick, but uh, you know, I like that trade from both sides, based both in terms of St. Louis, what St. Louis got for him and in terms of uh, you know, what, you know, what Dallas got by moving up and getting a premier guy. And even if they keep Michael Jenkins, they got three corners to play. And as you know, Stephen Jones, the son of uh, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, has said many a time, you know, those corners, that third corner on your team, he's playing 40 to 50 percent of the time. Well, they got a premier corner who's going to play 100 percent of the time, and they've now pushed Michael Jenkins into a position where, you know, unless they trade him, they're probably looking at him playing 40 or 50 percent of the time. That's that's pretty good value. Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports joining us. What do we expect from today? Second and third rounds today. Like you said, the Rams have a slew of picks. Uh, who are the big movers and shakers today? Uh, I think we're looking at Reuben Randall, uh, the Hill kid from Georgia Tech. I'm, his first name always is Stephen Hill, the wide receiver out of Georgia Tech. Yes, Norris I believe Jenkins so. is uh, a kid, cornerback, who has premier talent. I'm really fascinated to see where he ends up because uh, he's, you know, he's definitely going to be a second-round pick. Um, but he's got so much ability, somebody's eventually going to have to take a chance on him. Uh, I think Kobe Fleener, the, the tight end out of, out of Stanford, and there are a couple offensive linemen sitting out there. Uh, Jonathan Martin, another kid from Stanford, Mike Adams uh, and Cor- uh, from Ohio State, and Cordy Glenn from Georgia are all really good players who are, are, are I think there's going to be some jockeying for some of those guys. A lot of people here in Oregon wondering about where LaMichael James may wind up. Any guesses? No, could be fourth round. Who exactly, I don't know. But somebody, I, I, it's probably going to be the end of the third round when the supplemental picks start to come up. Um, but certainly no later than the fourth round because there's just too much speed there. Um, he's just he's a little bit brittle, and then you know the drug rumors surrounding everybody at Oregon. That's not good. That's not good news. I mean, that's going to bump some guys down. Um, but he's he's got speed to burn. RG three or Andrew Luck, who's set up better to succeed in their rookie year? In their rookie year, it's probably RG three because he's got better receivers for him. I mean. Yeah, you know, Reggie Wayne is still there in Indianapolis, but the other side and the tight end position are pretty weak at Indianapolis. Uh, Pierre Garçon doesn't scare me, and uh, neither does Josh Morgan, but they're probably better as a combination. Then you throw in uh, Chris Cooley at tight end and Fred Davis at tight end. If they can, if they, if Washington can get that group out on the field and healthy, then I think there's a pretty good chance that. Um, that they're going to be able to move the ball offensively and do some things statistically. Uh, Long term, however, I would rather be in Indianapolis' spot because Washington did give up those two first-round picks in the next two years. So they don't have a pick in the first round in 13 or in 2014, and those are vital players to want to help out Robert Griffin III. Um, that, That worries me an awful lot. Five years from now, who's a better quarterback, uh, Cam Newton or RG3? RG3. Really? 
Why? Yeah. I think he's a. I think he's a smarter kid. Um, in fact, he is a smarter kid. That's his bottom line. Um, I think he's a little bit more mature. Um, I think he has. I just there's something about his personality and and he's with Mike Shanahan. And I think that he's going to allow Mike Shanahan to survive for three or four years, which is going to help him a lot. In the case of Cam Newton, and while I really like Cam Newton, you know, the fact that he's probably going to lose offensive coordinator Rob Chudzinski after another year, because Chudzinski will probably become a head coach, is probably going to, you know, probably send him going backward a little bit. And because and, Chudzinski's really clever at how he uses Cam Newton and overcomes some of Cam's flaws. And I'm not sure that Cam is going to realize what his flaws are. He's just not that kind of kid. He's very, very headstrong, if you if you know him. Um, and he might not, it may take a while before he works on some of those things that he really needs to work on. Interesting. Before I let you go, uh, any tequila chicken on the menu for this weekend? Uh, actually, I am cooking for a... Uh, cooking on Monday for a rather large gathering. It's a court of honor for a Boy Scout uh, troop, and I'm doing uh, tri-tips uh, in a couple of different ways, which I'll marinate. And the, the tequila chicken, um, I'm going to be working on all t- on Sunday, um, about probably about eight pounds worth of chicken that I have to get, prepare the marinade uh, for. So, you know, we, I got a lot of white onions and a lot of lemons and a lot of, uh, a lot of jalapenos and a lot of garlic ready to chop up. You are money in the cooking department. Oh, I, you, you have to come to Florida. It, it, is a, it is a sight to behold. Yeah. I, and, and, and taste to behold as well. Yes, I need to make my way out there. Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Cole Yahoo. Thanks so much for taking the time, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Brian. Take care. Thanks. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. I've been waiting on the sunset, bills on my mindset. I can't deny they're getting high, higher than my income. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. As I've said many times on this show, the best investigative reporters in all of sports work for Yahoo Sports. And if they are sniffing around on you, you better shake in your boots. Well, our good friend Rand Gatlin along with Adrian Wojnarowski, respected NBA reporter, just dropped a bombshell within the last hour about NBA executive director, NBA Players Union executive director, 
Billy Hunter. Let's bring on Rand Gatlin now for more on this story. Rand, how are you? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? Good. Nice job on this story. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, all right, tell our listeners who are just tuning in right now, they may not have had the opportunity to read your story online, what this story is about with Billy Hunter, the NBA Players Association executive director, as the central character. Right. So it's an extremely complicated story. It's uh, it's unfolded over a period of over 10 years. And so uh, we really tried to distill it to its essence. Um, essentially, the story is about um, widespread nepotism in the union. Billy Hunter, the executive director, has overseen the hiring of uh, four of his family members in various capacities, whether it be directly as uh, an employee of the union or as uh, a consultant in the case of his son, a financial consultant or an attorney working for a firm who was contracted by the MBPA in the case of his daughter, Alexis. And there were just some startling uh, discoveries as we started going through the federal tax filings and looking at the numbers. And what you found out is that not only was did he oversee the hiring of those family members and sustain them financially for years uh, through the union, meaning they're union, using uh, player money to pay these, these family members, uh, they ended up dispersing over a period of five years. And we only analyzed five, although some of the family members have been uh, employed for 10. Uh, but over five years, they uh, received between Billy and his four family members or their related entities $17.2 million wow. uh, of player money. So it ended up being staggering and it was something that we thought we should probably sh- shed some light on. Well, it sounds like, according to your story, that Pat Garrity, former treasurer of the Players Association, and even Derek Fisher, who's called for an internal investigation, these guys may have been on to what Hunter was doing long ago. Why did it take so long for this story to come out? Well, it's been well known for many, many years that uh, Billy Hunter has uh, allowed the union to employ his family members in various capacities. Uh, not outside of uh, the inner sanctum, I suppose, uh, but anybody familiar with the uh, NBA and, and kind of the business side of that, uh, a lot of folks were aware uh, of these people uh, as kids being employed. And, you know, the problems arise in uh, actually piecing together a holistic overview of what's going on, which is what we set out to do. Uh, that's why it took us so long. This is four months in the making. Uh, but essentially, when you look at the totality of the circumstances, uh, it ends up being extremely damning. But as an individual, uh, or on each individual, I guess, uh, allegation, uh, you know, they may not be enough on their face to draw attention. But when you look at something like a comparative uh, union compensation analysis and you see that of total disbursements, meaning all money paid out to employees and officers at the three major unions, Billy Hunter is taking 46% of all disbursements, meaning all the money paid out to employees and officers, he gets 46% of that on a year-by-year basis. And then he gives another uh, few percentage points to his family members, uh, or, or the union did, I suppose, in netting that out. If you look at the NFLPA, uh, their union chiefs have made 18% of the total pie during that same time, and the MLBPA has made 10%. So you can fully say that Billy Hunter has been paid more than four times the percentage of net disbursements uh, than the MLB Players Association had, who deals with obviously a heck of a lot more players and I believe more profit. Rand Gatlin of Yahoo Sports is joining me. He and Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo Sports just dropped a bombshell story online, yahoosports.com. It's about Billy Hunter. So, I mean, after this story comes out, and there had been some whispers about this, 
How does Billy Hunter continue as the executive director? I don't see any way that he can. What a conflict of interest this is for him. Right. Well, ultimately, the responsibility to uh, vote in or out an executive director of a union uh, falls on the players' shoulders. And again, they've been aware of uh, at least individual instances of uh, nepotism occurring within the union for years. Uh, and they even uh, did as much as to uh, acknowledge that. Uh, one of the executive director, or executive committee members acknowledged, yeah, we've known you know, Billy's kids have worked here for years and they're fine because they are, uh, they're, they're well qualified. You know, my question would be if I was in, a, in, in one of the executive uh, committee members' chairs to the 450 players of the NBA is, do you guys have a problem with there having been over $17 million dispersed to Billy, his son, and three of his daughters, two daughters and a daughter-in-law over the past five years of our money? Uh, especially in light of the fact that one particularly egregious example of what was going on here, I think, is uh, the daughter, Alexis Hunter, uh, was hired at a law firm that was doing uh, no work for the MBPA, but she was hired in September of 2007. That same month that she was hired at the law firm, the MBPA uh, sent them a check for $60,000. Over the coming year, they ended up receiving over $140,000. Now, mind you, this is the first year she was hired at the firm. That firm went on for three years, three more years, uh, to receive funds from the NBPA uh, until they went bankrupt, at which point uh, Alexis was jobless. Within a few weeks of losing her job at uh, Howry because they went bankrupt or were going into bankruptcy proceedings, she got hired at another firm, Steptoe & Johnson, a firm that had not received a dollar over the previous five years, according to federal tax filings, from the NBPA. The year, uh, I'm sorry, the same month that she was hired by the firm, they began a contractual relationship with the MBPA and started representing them in court matters, court matters that she appeared in court on behalf of the MBPA uh, on. And that ended up being, according to our so- sources, uh, well over a million dollars in billables for the first year she was with that. Wow. Uh, so that's just one particularly particularly egregious example. Well, and tell us about your uh, part of the story where seven to nine million dollars. It sounds like Billy Hunter was asking for that kind of an investment from the union for a bank that his son was associated with. What was that about? Right. So this is another uh, very interesting uh, component to the story. There was a bank out in New Jersey. uh, It's called Interstate Net Bank before it was converted to ISN Bank. ISN Bank uh, ended up ultimately uh, being shut down by the FDIC at a cost of $23.9 million to the taxpayers. While the bank was in the midst of its failure, uh, Billy Hunter uh, reportedly was pushing an investment uh, to the Players Association saying, hey, guys, this is a good place to get in on the ground floor. Uh, you know, it's going to rebound. This is a great investment, et cetera. Or making, uh, making claims that the investment was sound or something that should even be considered. Uh, at the same time, there were published reports out there that another bank uh, director had uh, looked at and said, you know, at the time we were thinking about investing in this bank as it was failing, but as we started looking at published reports, it was clear that that bank was in the tomb to stay. What was not disclosed, according to our reporting, uh, was that Billy's son sat on the board, along with his son sitting on the board, Billy's son's company, Prim Capital, the financial advising firm uh, that was uh, giving the MBPA services over the past uh, 10 years or so. Uh, that firm owned over 200,000 shares of this bank. Uh, and another director at uh, his financial services firm, uh, a lady by the name of Carolyn Kaufman, also owned personally some shares of this bank. So here you have the son of the MBPA executive director and his partner, who also was involved in providing the players with services, uh, having their, his father pitch 
uh, an investment of $79 million in a failing bank uh, without, according to our reporting again, and this will bear out, uh, but without uh, disclosure of the position his son held on a board and the fact that his son was receiving direct financial compensation from that bank. Um, and again, it went on to fail at a cost of $23.9 million to the taxpayers. So when you think about that in its totality and you add that up, with uh, the situation with the daughter Alexis at the legal firms, uh, you quickly start to see, at the very least, a trend of things that should be questioned a little bit more deeply. Rand, how many current players do you think knew that this was going on with Billy Hunter and his family? Well, certainly the executive committee. So that's something that needs to be understood well as well. You know, the executive committee, it's, it's widely thought outside of the NBPA. Uh, by your fans, your average fans, they hear, well, they've got an executive committee. They represent the players. They know what they're doing. I won't dispute uh, their know-how, uh, but I will say this. Those positions are highly coveted. Uh, the individual that you're sitting next to is one of the most powerful men in all of professional athletics. So your logical, uh, your logical train of activity is going to be to uh, avoid rocking the boat. So to the extent that they... At least those eight to nine members were aware of what was going on in terms of family being hired. Uh, certainly, I think it was more widespread than that. Other people out in the league knew it. But frankly, I think nobody was really paying much attention. It seems to me this is a situation where the executive committee spoke on behalf of the other 450 players or 442 players, and, uh, and it was just accepted as such. But really the responsibility for vetting these kinds of things and ultimately making decisions in regards to hirings and the advocacy thereof or, or the justice of, uh, falls on the player's shoulders. And again, as you point out in your story, this is you know this isn't happening in Major League Baseball with their players' union. This isn't happening in the NFL. This is a big deal because uh, you know so much of this money is going to Billy Hunter and his family. This uh, paragraph that you have in your story: NBA players lost four hundred million dollars in salary during last summer's lockout and three billion dollars over the course of the new ten-year collective bargaining agreement. Billy Hunter, his family, and the entities that employed them made approximately $3.4 million from July 1, 2010 to June 30th, 2011. So while players and everyone else are sacrificing money, Billy Hunter and his family, they're getting rich. They certainly did well for themselves. I know there's a distinction between rich and wealthy, but I think a lot of us would uh, would be pretty happy. With I'll take $3.4 million. Seems like a healthy sum. So you know there are, there are so many issues uh, when you really break down that uh, that uh, the legal issue in terms of his daughter appearing in court on behalf of the NBPA uh, in a matter that ultimately uh, they abandoned. It was an NLRB uh, claim that they were moving forward on a National Labor Relations Board claim. Uh, the question becomes: Did Alexis's hiring at that firm? influence the legal strategy that ultimately led in part to the union being locked out. Uh, I'm sorry, the players being uh, locked, the being locked out over a period of time and, and that money that was lost. And those are the kinds of questions that uh, the players will have to ask in the coming days and weeks is, uh, is this something that's acceptable to us? Are these kinds of conflicts something that we think, uh, you know, it's prudent to allow to occur? And again, you just mentioned $3.4 million dollars. Uh, but as I said, over five years, it was well over $17 million. Uh, and that is a really large amount of money 
uh, to go to uh, the executive director and four of his family members of players' money. Uh, and a lot of people have said, you know, and this is an important distinction for anybody that's their head spinning to saying, wow, this is very complicated. It is. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think you can boil it down to this. If I came to you and I said, hey, uh, I am going to spend $17 million of your money over the next uh, five years to hire my family members, would you have some questions for me as to whether they were the most competent uh, or appropriate people for that job? Uh, but if it was my money, if I want to spend, if I own the company and I want to spend that money on my children, you know, go for it. That, that's your prerogative. But when you're spending players' money on employing your own children, especially in roles that have significant repercussions or at least potential significant repercussions from a legal standpoint for all of the players and the amount of money that you uh, alluded to earlier, over $3 billion lost over a period of 10 years, certainly I think that uh, that requires a very significant and vigorous vetting process. All right. Before I let you go, we know that the executive committee of the NBA Players Association last week voted 8 to nothing to oust Derek Fisher, they wanted his resignation. He won't resign. So now with all of this turmoil on the executive committee, who's the guy who steps up and says, all right, NBA players, as a union, we need to take a vote on Billy Hunter and whether or not he remains as our executive director? Well, that remains to be seen. What I would say is this. I would suspect that the players who asked Derek to leave uh, 8 to 0 uh, who had a few days prior to having that vote, five of them, according to minutes from the meeting, approved uh, them having an outside independent audit conducted of business practices and finances by the law firm Patton Boggs, uh, you know, and they reverse field two days later. I would suspect at this point, seeing as what they seemed to allude to was the reason they were voting Derek out is because they, they thought it had become personal and that they thought that he could no longer conduct business uh, at the helm of the union and, and, and do right by the players. I would suspect with him being the one to ask for the audit and alleging nepotism uh, and the results of this report, I would assume the players would listen to him. I would assume there's a healthy number of the 450 players in the league that if they're made privy to the details in this report would start saying Derek was on to something. And I'm not so sure that he won't be the one uh, to lead the charge. But we'll see. Uh, regardless of who it is, I certainly uh, – I think they will be asking some questions and some pretty probing questions here in the coming days and months. Rand Gatlin, investigative reporter with Yahoo Sports. He teamed up with Adrian Wojnarowski, who covers the NBA for Yahoo, on a bombshell of a story that is online right now at yahoosports.com about Billy Hunter. Terrific reporting, as always. Great job, and uh, I appreciate you taking some time with me, and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. This is SBR. Back with more after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. 
For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Joining me on the phone right now is former Oregon Ducks quarterback, Akili Smith. Akili, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm out here on this golf course thinking it up, but uh, there's room for improvement. Where are you playing golf? Down here in San Diego, California. Is it a nice day at least? Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful out here. They say golf is a good walk spoiled. Is that what it's like today? Oh, no. Nah. It's more like a ride and cruise and we just out here having a good time. What's your golf game? You got a pretty decent drive. What's your short game like? Are you a good golfer? I am pretty good with the pitching and putting, but the problem is is getting there. That's the issue. So my driver stinks, my iron runs well, but as far as my pitch and my putt game is uh, right where it needs to be. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you had it all working at the same time, you'd be playing on the PGA Tour, right? Exactly. That would have been my second career, but uh, there's a lot of work to be done out here on this golf course. Besides playing golf, what else are you doing these days? Uh, just training kids and giving back to the youth and stuff like that, mentoring and uh, working at St. Augustine High School um, for a high school program out here in San Diego. That's great. Hey, have you had a chance to read the story in ESPN, the magazine, yet about uh, the weed culture around Oregon? And I know you were quoted in the piece, and I just wanted to get your general feelings on it if you've read it. Yeah, I just got the phone with John, um, waiting to hear from Ruben. Uh, we, you know, we're upset. Ruben is extremely upset because when I first did the interview, uh, the guy who wrote the article, and I forgot his name. Sam uh, Alapur. Yeah, he talked about weed. Um, as far as in college, period, just as a whole. Turns out he had an arterial motive to go after the Ducks. And that's what me and Ruben are uh, extremely upset about. Yeah, I, I heard uh, from some sources that Ruben felt like he was his conversation with the reporter was taken out of context. Is that how he feels? That's exactly what happened. He was just talking about marijuana, weed as a whole in college sports, period. But come to find out when the article was released, he targeted the Oregon Ducks. And we're, you know, we're extremely upset about that because now the Ducks and our fellow alumni association, ADs, Chip, and probably some of the coaches are looking at us like we just threw the program under the bus. And that's not what we did. It started out, on, it started out as us talking about marijuana in college, period. How did this reporter approach you? Because, you know, i got to tell you, Akili, I have a hard time believing that if he represented himself as a reporter, that he just wound up in the apartment of football players at Oregon smoking weed and playing video games. I just don't buy that. Exactly. And that's the, that's the same thing that we're upset about because that's not exactly what we talked about. And the thing that I said uh, in the article in talking to him, some people do smoke weed. You know, whether it's baseball, basketball, or football, some people smoke, even soccer. If you can handle it, some guys will continue to do it. If you can't handle it, then don't do it. It's a decision that you're going to have to make in your professional career or in your collegiate career. You talk in the story, uh, there's a quote from you in here, and you say some guys who use marijuana go out and ball because they're relaxed, but if it affects his play, you sit him down and tell him, yo, it's not for you. You talk about a code and the players policing each other. Is that what happens? Yeah, that's, that's definitely what happened. I'm going to be open and honest about it. There's people right now in the NBA, in the NFL, and collegiate sports that do smoke. And it's just it's just a culture. Heck, they're trying to legalize it. And at one point it was legalized. And, it's, and, and marijuana is bigger than just sports. It's, it's, it's here in the world and it's here to stay. And I believe the guy took our stuff out of context and he focused it 
on uh, the Ducks, and now, you know, we're hearing about it. Former Oregon Ducks quarterback Akili Smith is my guest. Akili, in this story, he says 40 to 60% of the current Oregon Ducks football team smokes weed. Where do you fall with that number? Is that high, low? Is it right? I have no idea, and he shouldn't have no idea. How would he know? How would I know? The only people that would know that is probably the doctors and stuff like that if they're testing the kids on campus. He wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that. Ruben wouldn't know that. Nobody would know that. I don't know where he was going with this article, and I have no idea where he got that that number from. But uh, like I said, Ruben is extremely upset. He couldn't even get on the phone. I told John, yeah, I am a little bit upset, but I can get on the phone and talk about this situation. You have been a guy, you've played in college, you've played at the pro level, you've played in different parts of the country. How prevalent is the weed and drug culture in sports today? Um, there's a, there's people uh, definitely uh, using marijuana. There's people that's using Advil and pain pills and things of that nature. It's just It's just what it is. Drugs is here to stay. And that's just being open and honest about it. It's here to stay. It's going to be around. You got guys out there risking their bodies each and every weekend. So, you know, I think that's that's uh, I think people understand that. But the biggest thing is that I'm upset about is the way that he targeted the Ducks. We are extremely upset about that. So, I mean, have you called the reporter back and told him that you're upset with how this was all represented? No, we're going to do that here shortly. So uh, I'm going to Facebook Ruben because he's out of the country. Tell him to give me a call. We need to get on three-way with this guy and talk about this situation because this is not where this article should have went. It had no business going here. I don't know if they plan on doing a outside-the-line type deal, or they're just looking for some type of story on ESPN or what the purpose of uh, this article was all about. But um, this was totally unnecessary. Yeah, they make it sound like Eugene, Oregon is the weed capital of the world. You played football down there. You went to school at Oregon. I have not spent a lot of time in Eugene. How would you rate Eugene in the prevalence of of weed and drugs uh, compared to, like, Cincinnati or somewhere like that? Look. Everybody, no matter where you're at, in Cincinnati, if you're in Frankfurt, Germany, if you're in Russia, it doesn't matter where you're at. Everybody is smoking marijuana. That's just the way it is. Some people smoke uh, to relax. Some people smoke just to get things off their mind. That's just the way it is. That's our culture. People are using it. The biggest thing, like I was saying, I'll keep reiterating, he targeted this, this information to go at the Oregon Ducks. And we'll see what goes from here because evidently there must be some type of story that's going to come behind this because he's got an arterial motive to attack the Ducks right now. Yeah, he says 19 current or former Oregon players and officials revealed widespread marijuana use by football players for at least the past 15 years. So, you know, he definitely was targeting the Ducks. There's no other program really mentioned in this. They do give the stat of 27.6% of NCAA college football players smoke weed, and I don't know how they come up with that number. That's an NCAA number. Exactly. And if you don't have an insight source on the NCAA um, uh, investigation crew, whatever you want to call it, he would not be able to know that number. So he's throwing numbers out there and creating fallacies and things like that. And to be honest with you, when he talked to me about the old Oregon situation, he brought up my name and he brought up Ruben's name and some other people that he was talking to across the country. Come to find out, he's trying to interview everybody from the Oregon Ducks to go after the Ducks. When he called you, did he represent himself as a reporter? Yeah, he represented himself as a reporter for ESPN. Um, I had no problem with that, uh, basically telling him about the marijuana use in college as a whole, not just at the University of Oregon. And come to find out, this guy's attacking the Ducks. 
Akili Smith, former Oregon Duck quarterback, he played in the NFL as well, joining me. So, okay, if you use weed or drugs or, I mean, let's say weed, is it a performance enhancer? Is it something that relaxes you? How does it affect your performance? You know, to be honest with you, there's some guys that, you know, I know of, and I'm not going to say no names, that, that smoke in the NFL, that smoke in the NBA, that smoke in big leagues, in, in Major League Baseball, that go out there and perform at a high level. And there's some guys that try it, and they can't perform. So it's all about what your body can adjust to and use to go out there to have that success out there on the field. Has smoking weed become like having a beer after work? I mean, is it that prevalent? Yeah, once they legalized it and everybody's getting the marijuana cars and things of that nature, that's kind of where uh, marijuana is going. But before that, people were using marijuana anyway. And so, on a, you know, I don't know. I was going to say, and on a college campus, uh, you know, I mean, I remember I went to school and on a college campus, it's not hard to get. Oh, no, it's not hard to get. When you get to a college campus, you're going to have a couple of options when you first get there. You're going to have marijuana. You're going to have alcohol. You're going to have pornography. You're going to have sex. There's going to be a lot of different things that's going to be introduced to you when you step on the college campus. It's going to be up to you to make the right decision so that you can finish your degree and have a successful college career. Akili, how involved are the coaches and the athletic department staff in educating you from the moment you get on campus? Here are some people, you know, here's the guy who's going to bring you weed. Here's the pornography guy. Here's the sex person. You know, here are the pitfalls. Let us warn you about them. And then you're a big boy. You've got to make those decisions, and we can't be with you 24-7. That's exactly right. Blotty did a great job of that. Jeffrey did a great job of that, just alertness of all those things. And uh, my senior year, I tightened up on a lot of things that I was doing out there and had some success. Uh, I want to ask you about the upcoming NFL draft. Two quarterbacks at the top of the draft, Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin the third. What do you think of those guys, and, and how successful do you think they might be in the NFL? Andrew Luck is just an absolute baller. And one thing about him, he's been the same consistent quarterback since he's been a freshman. So when he gets to the league, if they surround him with the right tools, he's going to play the same way that he played in college. There's no doubt about it. Now, RG3 uh, we had a discussion today out here on the golf course. He's more in a Michael Vick mode. So we don't know, you know, where his abilities is going to take him. His, his ability is off the chart right now. I'm excited to see both of them in the NFL. Yeah, RG3 to me seems like a, a hybrid of Vick and Cam Newton because he's a little bit bigger than Vick. He's not quite as big as Cam Newton, but he seems like he's got abilities of both of those guys. That's exactly right. And the one thing, if I was rating RG3 and Michael Vick coming out of college, um, RG3, RG3 throws better than Vic did. So he's a better thrower right now than Michael Vick was coming out of college. So his ability is pretty much unlimited right now. Wow. Do, have you talked to LaMichael James about uh, his pending NFL career and his preparation for his career in the NFL? Haven't had a chance. I'm actually waiting on a call back from uh, Darren Thomas. Uh, Rashad Bowman is trying to hook him up with that. I uh, just want to show him a couple of little mechanical things that I see that he's going to try, that he's going to have to. Of fix, not try, and uh, try to help the kid out, kid out as much as I can. Akili, before I let you go, when you look back on your career at the University of Oregon and also in the NFL, what are the highlights that come to mind? Shoot, to be honest, that that I, I watched that sixty-one yard uh, run against USC all the time. That was such <laughs> a big game. That was such a big game. And then I'm uh, business partners with Pat Johnson, and uh, we always talk about the catch and. My first career start, you know, was a win over Cleveland Browns, a team that um, I thought I was going to be going to. So 
um, there's definitely some highlights uh, in my career. And then that's why I'm trying to set up this company to help these kids um, have some highlights in their career and uh, be successful in life. Achille, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. Go back to your golf game and uh, hit them straight and hit them far. <laughs> I'll try. I'm up in the tee box right now. All right. I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. Seen a song for the broken hearted. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. I think I've mentioned on this show, I am fascinated with the psychology behind sports. Because I think so much of sports comes in between the ears. In college, I minored in psych, so I've always dabbled in it. And one of my favorite guests to have on the show joins me now, sports psychologist Dr. Paul Dennis, who is based in Toronto. Dr. Dennis, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Brian. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to join me. It's always my pleasure. Thank you. Part of what makes athletes great is their competitive nature, uh, you know, the fact that they want to win at any cost, but also sometimes you can't channel that emotion. And case in point, yesterday, Ron Artest or Meta World Peace, whatever you want to call him, in the Lakers game, I know you've seen the video. Um, what were your thoughts? And a guy like Artest seems like such a, a loose cannon. He's volcanic. You never know when he's going to erupt. I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. And I think quite far too often um, athletes such as uh, Ron Artest and, and others will say they'll apologize and they say that I never meant to do it and it was in the heat of the moment and, and et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's getting to the point where a lot of those athletes are disingenuous, Brian. I, I think if you didn't mean to hurt somebody, you never would have thrown the elbow that flagrant in the first place. And he seems to be an athlete throughout his career, throughout, I think it's been maybe 12 years that he's playing now, is that he needs the attention, he needs the power, he needs to be in control. And he, he scored a great basket. He was playing really well that game. And as he's celebrating and pounding his chest, it would appear that James Harden got in his way. And nobody gets in Ron Artest's way when I'm celebrating. And I think that's why he overreacted that way, and he just has trouble managing his emotions. Well, obviously, he's got he's a repeat offender. So we remember, everyone knows, when he went into the stands at the Palace at Auburn Hills and he got a 70-some-odd game suspension. Um, he's a guy who's been in trouble. This isn't the first time we've seen this from Ron Artest. So, you know... After the Lakers won the title a few years ago, he thanked his therapist, which got a lot of headlines. If you were bringing Ron Artest in to talk to him today, what would you say to him? I think that he needs to relate to people more in a compassionate way. He needs to be more positive and respectful. 
starting with himself, perhaps starting with his teammates and management and all those associated with the Lakers, and then certainly with his opponents. But there's a tremendous lack of compassion and respect. But I think he may be under the impression that I've done all that. I've donated my, I've sold my, um, my, my world championship ring to charity, and I raised money for mental awareness. And, but that's not enough. That's almost like a cyber thank you. It needs to be direct and in the moment and, and, and that type of thing. So those are the things that we would talk about for sure. Well, the other thing that's hard about pro sports, I listened to some of the comments after the game, and I listened to Pau Gasol apologize for him. I listened to Andrew Bynum say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal and he didn't mean it. When you're surrounded by enablers, and let's face it, a lot of athletes are surrounded by enablers, it certainly doesn't make uh, getting better and improving yourself easier. That's a great point. In fact, it's the worst thing that could happen to an athlete. Those enablers are basically saying they're reinforcing the behavior and they're offering excuses for you and it wasn't that big of a deal. But the fact is it is a big deal. And as long as we turn a blind eye to it, which enablers do, then the athlete will continue to repeat that behavior. Well, and the Lakers have done this before, just a year ago in the playoffs. Andrew Bynum leveled J.J. Barea. Most people thought that was a filthy, dirty play. Uh, Bynum was suspended for the first several games of this regular season. And as an organization, you know, the Lakers didn't come out today and say, you know what, that was unacceptable behavior from Meta World Peace. That's not what we condone with this organization. It's nothing from the Lakers. And we're just waiting to hear from the NBA. So as an organization, they seem to not, I'm not going to say condone that behavior, but they certainly don't, uh, I guess, uh, tell their players that's unacceptable behavior. That's right. And the reason they don't do that is because they're shifting the responsibility to the league. And they think that as long as the league comes down harsh enough, then we don't have to. But actually, it should be the other way around. To me, it doesn't matter whether he gets five games or ten games. Or, or, or no games. He needs the strong, watchful eye of the Lakers management, the coaches, the, the team leaders. They all have to get, their, to get together and work with this guy, work through these problems, and not sh- just shift the responsibility and say, well, he'll automatically be better once he sits out for the next 10 games. It doesn't work that way. Our test has been a guy, again, that's done this over and over again throughout his career. Can he get better, or is he always going to have that eruption that we're waiting for? I you know there's always a silver lining in every dark cloud, as you know. But 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 in this case, I you know in the 12 years that he's played, he's been suspended numerous times. Whether it's breaking a camera, whether it's a confrontation with another coach, whether it's going into the stands after the fans, it's just a question of what's next. And you know it's going to be damage control, but just how much damage? So I'm not really sure if there is going to be a change. I'm not sure if. Uh, teams want him to change because he does contribute to a winning winning cause and as long as they can deal with it and get through those obstacles that he creates for himself i think they're willing to put up with it our local sports psychologist dr paul dennis is joining me you can find him on twitter at dennis sports uh psy for psychologist um and you should follow him because he's got some good stuff to say and he's consulted for the toronto maple leafs the raptors toronto fc Let's talk about the NFL draft. It's coming up on Thursday. And, you know, the the moments that I remember a lot, I remember Brady Quinn and others, the guy sitting in the green room and they're waiting for their name to be called. And it seems like an eternity before their name is called. Even the guys that know that they're going to have their names called early, there's anxiety this week, I would imagine. Uh, talk about that, if you would. Well, you're 100% right. There is anxiety, but there was a psychologist named A.D. Hart that said worrying about the unknown, which is what they're doing. They don't know when they're going to get called. 
is as useless as trying to increase your height just by thinking about it. And that's what they're going through. And we tell athletes all the time, you can't worry about things that are out of your control. You can't live your life worrying. And we say these things, but honestly, we say that in a disingenuous way because as human beings, we want to be in control. We think we're in control if we're worrying about it. And athletes probably more so than non-athletes. So they have this impression about themselves. So that, you know, I, you know I, I, I can do the 40 in X number. I'm agile. I'm quick. I'm mentally strong. I'm smart. I've got all these impressions that I think other people have of me, and if I'm not taken when I think I should be taken, then I begin to lose control, and I begin to have self-doubt creeping in. And it's really, really problematic for some of these athletes to go through it. It doesn't mean that they're mentally tough or uh, weak or anything like that, Brian. It just means that they're struggling with these issues because of self-preservation. They don't want people to think poorly of them, and, and it's, it's, it's really problematic. And once the ball is snapped and there's a kickoff, none of those thoughts go through their mind. But it's just the unknown is just killing them in many, many cases. Dr. Dennis, is there a relaxation exercise that they can do something, you know, on that day of the draft that they can do to calm their nerves? There is. There are some uh, relaxation exercises. I think breathing probably would be the best and imaging. But I, my, my advice, if I was working with one of those athletes, is Brian, is just, you know what, just enjoy the moment. Soak in as much as you can the atmosphere. Watch all the proceedings that are going on. You, you know, these are players that you're going to be playing, you've played against for X number of years. You're going to continue that into the National Football League. Enjoy the experience. You're with people that are close to you, your social support group, everybody that's helped you along the way. Just enjoy those things and don't be thinking about what may or may not happen. Just enjoy the moment, just like you would in a game. Enjoy the moment. It's all in the here and now. It's all what, what is your, your, your focus right on this particular moment, and that's all you can do. Well, and I think back to guys like Tom Brady, who I think slipped to the sixth round, Aaron Rodgers, who slipped through most of the first round. These are guys that carried chips on their shoulder after their draft snubs, and it's kind of led to their greatness now. Well, I think that nurtured their, their mental toughness. They were be mentally tough to begin with because they were great NCAA players. And, and because they were snubbed, as you say, they just went back into the gym and they just said, and that motivated them. And that, that proves to them that uh, they have what it takes. And, and quite often when these guys are in the gym and they use that as motivation, when, when they're doing these reps and these sets and it's tiring and they think, you know, what, it's about to quit, then they recall that time when I got snubbed. They get a bit of a spritz of adrenaline. They get this adrenaline pumping up and they, they go even further than they thought they would and they get stronger, more quicker, more agile, all of these things that relate directly to their performance, all because they got snubbed. Last question for you while I have you. Uh, LeBron James has had another MVP type of regular season. Unfortunately for him, the playoffs start this weekend. LeBron seems to be a different player in the playoffs. The finals last year against Dallas well documented his disappearance in the fourth quarter of those games in crunch time. If you're LeBron and you've had a great season, you know what happened during the playoffs last year and it was well documented in the media. What do you do to ensure that you don't repeat the performances of last year's playoff run? Yeah, great question. I think the people that are close to him, his teammates and his coaches, the media with the Heat, they cannot bring that up. So he needs to stay away from those comments about the past. And it's just like anything else. What's important now? What, what are the strategies and tactics that we need to play in this particular game? Once the mind starts to go back and, and remember what went wrong in the past, and then you make a mistake early in the game, 
that's where your mind's going to go back to. And then it's this expectancy effect, this self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, it's happened before. People think it's going to happen again. Well, here it is. Now it's happening again. So the best thing to do is completely block out anything from the past, focus on the moment, and just enjoy the game and just drive hard and, and, and play the game. The hard thing is, is with today's media, if you have a game where, you know, you don't have a a great performance in the playoffs, they're going to ask you about it after the game. And then, you know, you've got that reminder. Do you start overthinking things? Or I guess, how do you stay in regular season LeBron mode instead of going to postseason failure LeBron mode? Well, I think that's uh, that's the point uh, that I was trying to make, probably not very well, but he needs to be able to control the scrum and just say, I'm, I'm here to talk about what happened today and, and, and in preparation for game two, for example. I'm not here to talk about any questions from the past. You can ask those questions, but I will not deal with those. I'm only going in the present and moving forward. And, and that's, that would be my recommendation to him. That's Dr. Paul Dennis. He's our resident sports psychologist. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I always appreciate your time and our conversations. They're great. I just love being on your show. Thank you so much, Brian. This is SBR. Back with more after this. I hold on so nervously to me and my drink. I wish it was cool and me, but so far has not been good. It's been pretty and I feel Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Morgan Baer. She is the general manager of a terrific company called Casal. Morgan, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So for our audience out there that doesn't know much about your company, you guys have been around for 30 years, but tell us a little bit about the company. Well, we have. That's right. We've been around for 30 years. Casal is based in Stockholm, Sweden. So our focus is um, creating functional fitness apparel for women and um, some for men, but for all training categories, from yoga and Pilates to CrossFit, running. We, we do it all, and we do it all very well. And you do a lot of uh, customized fits. How does that work? Customized fits. Well, all of our styles... Um, tops and pants, they are categorized as either um, loose, regular, or slim fit. So that just speaks to the fact that we create styles and apparel for all, the full gamut of training categories. So our looser fits are great and free-flowing for yoga or Pilates to the opposite side of the spectrum. With um, running, we have slim fits with very technical fabrics for those training categories. This is a really highly competitive market. I mean, you've got Nike out there and Adidas and Reebok and, and Under Armour. 
how do you stay competitive in this market? Great question. Um, well, the fact, I think, that we are 30 years old and our foundation is designing and creating functional fitness apparel for women speaks to the fact that that is at our core. So we, we understand how to create apparel to support women in movement of all different types, whereas other companies, they usually start off designing fitness apparel for men and then down the road created um, apparel for women as an afterthought. Um, designing for women is at our core. Morgan Bear, the general manager of Casal United States, is joining me. How do you market your company? Because, again, you've got some of your competitors. They have enormous marketing budgets. And mm-hmm. um, How do you market your company to your core consumer? Um, well, now that we are, we're finally here in the U.S. Uh, we're so excited to be here. We're popular throughout Europe. Um, with this launch, we had to say, okay, how do we come up with a, a very narrow focus, and who do we want to focus on? And we decided who better than the fitness professionals who have high expectations with their fitness apparel. They know what they want in their fitness apparel, but they're also very influential um, among their clients, the people that they teach in class or with personal training. So we, we put together what we call our Casal Fit Pro program, where we incentivize fitness professionals to try our stuff, love it, and talk about us to, to their clients. And you can go to casalfitpro.com to sign up and learn more about it and take advantage of all those benefits and rewards. What are some of the company's growth goals in the United States? I mean, do you eventually expand into uh, retail and, and some other places here in the United States? Talk about your growth in the United States. Right. Um, so w- w- fitness and function, it's at our core. Casal is it's beautiful. We are, our styles have that very that Swedish simplicity and beauty. But at our core, more important than anything, we are very functional. We're very technical for, like I said, the full gamut of training categories. So that's always going to be um, the core part of, of any plan or avenue that we go down. So our Casal Fit Pro program will will always be at our core. Expanding beyond that into retail, we are we are going to start to partner with retailers across the U.S. that kind of maintain the same maintain the same core values that we do. So, supporting our end consumers with providing great products and experiences that support them in fitness. When might you go into that retail, and can you talk about any of the retailers that you may partner with eventually? Well, we we're. we're We've opened our doors to um, retail partnerships now. With that said, as as we um, as we connect with certain retailers, we are definitely continuing the conversation and interested in um, seeing if it's a good fit. We're not actively opening our doors and marketing our wholesale division until the spring summer 2013 season. So right now in the United States. How are you selling product to your consumers? What's the best way if someone hears this interview and, and they want to buy some of your product, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, on the web. Go to casal.com. Um, all of our products are available for sale. Um, our spring, summer season is fully in stock. They can um, go to our website, casal.com, and uh, purchase products, have it available for delivery within a day, and um, Sign on for our email blast so that they can learn about promotions, um, discounts, rewards points, and all that good stuff. 
Now, you were a field hockey player, I understand, and you're very into uh, physical fitness, so mm-hmm. this is probably a dream job for you, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'm uh, an athlete just uh, naturally and personally, so I love learning about all the newest um, tr- trends in training. And um, when funny that you bring that up. When I was playing field hockey in high school, I actually did have the opportunity to buy a pair of Casal spandex shorts that I wore all throughout high school and college. And um, if you know the, the field hockey training skirts, you probably need to have some something underneath those. So I wore the same pair of Casal spandex shorts all through high school and college, and I still have them to this day. Wow, that's durability. Oh, it is. We stand by our durability, and we're just (laughs) so excited to get our customers to try it and just be enthralled as much as we are. Well, now I imagine you probably don't have to use just that one pair uh, for working out. You probably (laughs) have access to a few pairs now, right? I do, but I still like to look at it and bring it out every once in a while. (laughs) That's great. How can people uh, follow you on Twitter and Facebook? Do they just go to your website? Uh, Yes, they can go to our website to find the links, our, our Facebook page. Is facebook.com slash Casal Training, and our Twitter page is um, Casal US. And it's Casal, C-A-S-A-L-L. Exactly, yeah. Great. Well, Morgan, this has been a pleasure. Uh, Good luck and continued success to you, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. All right, we are back. You saw her as a sideline reporter for Monday Night Football. She had a 14-year sportscasting career, best damn sports show. Now she's an award-winning reporter for Inside Edition. My guest joining me on the phone is Lisa Guerrero. Lisa, how are you? Great. How are you, Brian? I'm doing really well. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So you're out in New York today. I know they're excited out there for the NFL draft. But let's talk about your transition from a very uh, terrific sports task, sports casting career to uh, a newscasting career. What's that change been like? Yeah, it's been, you know, I grew up as a huge sports fan and would watch these male sports reporters on TV. And I would tell my dad, I want to do that. I want to do that. And he said, well, maybe someday, you know, they'll be hiring women and you can do that. So um, I was really fortunate in in the career that I had in sports. I, I worked for 14 years and I started in Los Angeles with CBS. 
and um, at a time when there weren't very many women doing sports, I was the first woman to earn a contract in Los Angeles as a sportscaster, and um, you know was one of the very few women in the locker room at the time. And uh, as my career progressed, I noticed that they were hiring more and more women, either for sidelines or as a weekend anchor or correspondent. And uh, I, I was really blessed to be kind of part of that early group of women. And you know, of course, there were women before me in the 70s. Uh, you know, Janet Pransky and Barbara Boren, who really were some of the pioneers in the locker room uh, as far as women were concerned. So during the 14 years that I, I worked starting in Los Angeles and then doing regional sports for Fox and then national sports for Fox Sports and then ABC and ESPN, I was, I was able to cover a lot of different sports at a time that was really exciting for women. And, um, you know, after a certain amount of time, though, I've got to say, Brian, I was, I was going, okay, what's the next challenge going to be? Because, you know, I had covered seven Super Bowls and I had covered, um, you know, I think altogether it was 13 um, NBA playoffs because I covered primarily the Lakers, you know, so the Lakers and Clippers, although I did cover for uh, Fox nationally many different teams. But, you know, when you're a Lakers fan and you grow up in Los Angeles, as I did, that was that was pretty special to be a part of, of some of those championship uh, seasons and covering those was, was very exciting. So but what after it, a while, I just thought, you know, what what is the next challenge going to be? Because I, you know, once you've done Monday Night Football, there's, you know, you can't really go any higher than that in terms of sports casting. So my agent said, look, sports is a niche. You're a good reporter. If you want to try another challenge, why don't you try news? You know, it's you can have a really big audience. You can have a greater female audience as well. And, you know, you can cover important stories. And so now I do investigative journalism and I've got to say I love sports, and as a fan, I will always love sports. But as a reporter, um, I, I feel a lot more challenged and, and feel like I'm in a better niche for myself as an investigative reporter. I get asked all the time from college students, even people in high school, how do you get into the media industry? What would be the best advice you could give someone listening to this interview for how to break into what you're doing? Don't do what I did. <laughs> I would start there, and I would, you know, I talk, I talk to young women all the time and young men that want to get into sports casting, and, and you know, the best advice I can give them would be to, you know, stay in school, get a degree in broadcasting, really learn uh, how to story tell, meaning develop your English skills, develop your storytelling skills, uh, be very involved with the writing process. A lot of people think that if you're on TV, you don't necessarily write a lot, but you do. You you know, I, I wrote my stories, I wrote my stand-ups, I wrote my questions. Uh, so I think that having good writing skills, being a good communicator, are really important for a television broadcaster. Uh, you know, of course, people like to focus on looks when you talk about female sportscasters. And, you know, I, I certainly understand that. That's an important element of being on TV is, you know, the visual aspect of what you're presenting. And it was certainly important in my career to look good. Uh, but I think above and beyond that, and especially now, you know, I'm 48 years old, and I've, I've never stopped working on television. And it's certainly not because I look like a supermodel. You know, I think it's because I work really hard. I'm ambitious. I write well. And I'm constantly looking at new ways to tell stories, whether it's sports, whether it's news, whether, you know, it's investigative journalism. We all do the same thing. And that is we look at a situation. We break it down. We report to our viewers, or in your case, your listeners, we're reporting to them the story that we see. 
And hopefully we're asking questions of athletes or celebrities or newsmakers, the questions that people sitting at home would want to ask if they were holding the microphone. No, you bring so up a great point. Advice. That's my, my best advice. And if you, if, you can, if you can cover sports, you can cover news. If you can cover news, you can cover entertainment. You know, a lot of us are able to go from one genre to the other simply because we work hard or, you know, we're, we're interested in telling good stories. Well, and the other thing that's really changed in the last few years, Lisa, is that now, you know, your bosses want you to be on Twitter and on Facebook and they want you out there on all these different platforms. So if you do a story in your case on TV, you know, now you've got to push it out to all these different platforms as well. We kind of live on this on-demand society where people listen to podcasts, they watch things on Facebook and Twitter or on the Internet, on YouTube. So it really has changed in the last several years. Yeah, and Brian, social media has been important, in my opinion, in two ways for fans. Um, Number one, you can get your news immediately. If something happens, it's on Twitter within seconds. So number one, you can get the news quicker. That presents a problem sometimes because it's not always accurate immediately, but you certainly get it quickly. So that's, that's the first thing that I think people love about social media is, is the immediacy of it. The second thing of it, or the second thing that I think is, is, is important to folks, it certainly is to me, is that you can connect to celebrities or athletes or newsmakers um, directly. So, you know, if you're following Terrell Owens or if you're following Kim Kardashian, God forbid, or if you're, <laughs> if, you're, if you're following somebody that you think is fantastic, there's a pretty good opportunity for you to possibly communicate with them, to tweet to them. And, you know, I know that I am on Twitter constantly. I'm a junkie. And I, I like to communicate back with people that are following me. And I also like to, you know, talk about things that they, they might not normally associate with me. You know, I can get into, I love talking about politics and tweeting about pop culture and music and, you know, stuff outside of the realm of sports where people, you know, think of me uh, primarily. And, of course, now I do investigative journalism. So the weird thing is I'm not allowed by my bosses to tweet too much about the stories that I'm covering right now until they air because they're legally sensitive. So my tweets are sometimes like teases. <laughs> I don't get to I don't get to say everything about what I'm covering uh, before the lawyers get a chance to to suss it out. Lisa Guerrero of Inside Edition is joining me. So you're the chief investigative correspondent. You've won awards. Uh, what's the best way for people if they want to you know find you nightly to watch you? What's the best way for them to do that? Uh, well, first of all, we're syndicated. So we've got 6 million viewers a day, and in different cities, we're on at different times and different networks. In Portland, we're on at 7.30 and 11 p.m. on NBC. Uh, so if you go to InsideEdition.com, wherever you are, you can certainly just log in to that, that uh, website. And on the home page, there is a button that you can click where it's, I think it says where to watch. So you can find out where we are in your city. And um, certainly you can contact me. I'm on Twitter, like I said, at four, the number four, Lisa Guerrero. And I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook fan page, and I I post a lot of videos on that so people can see the videos of the stories that I'm doing. Um, And again, I I really like to communicate with people. I love to get into discussions and debates about stuff. And that was one of the best things about being on Best Damn Sports Show, period, for me, was that I got to get into sports arguments every day with (laughs) With yeah. athletes and broadcasters, and it was a lot of fun. I had I had a great time on that show. It was, it was a lot of fun. Well, and your husband is former World Series champion Scott Erickson, pitcher, and he's with the Cleveland Indians now in their organization, correct? Yeah, 
he retired in 2006, and he played for 17 years, had a great career. And, and I think when he first retired, all he wanted to do was play golf, <laughs> sit around and you know relax. And he got really bored. He got really bored. And about a year ago, he kind of said out of the blue, I think I want to coach. So he reached out to some folks in different organizations and uh, went on a bunch of interviews. And uh, the the folks at the Cleveland Indians were really enthusiastic about him, which is interesting because he had played for, I think, five different teams, but he'd never played for Cleveland. But they were really aggressive in hiring him. So he's starting in the minor leagues, um, Class A Carolina League, and a, a team called the Carolina Mudcats. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Check out. Google the Carolina Mudcats because they potentially have the best logo, certainly in minor league baseball, but potentially all of sports. A mudcat, by the way, is a catfish. So um, it's kooky. But minor leagues are are really fun. And so I've spent a lot of time going um, in between visiting him and watching, you know, his games and then doing my work on Inside Edition. But um, the minor leagues are awesome. I mean, they are really enthusiastic. And Scott loves coaching at that level because these guys are young and enthusiastic. Obviously, they they want to, you know, impress the organization and get called up. So I think he's he's found a good niche for himself as as a uh, a coach, and I think eventually he's going to get called up to be a major league coach probably in the next couple of years. That's great. Just a few minutes left with Lisa Guerrero. So give me your two cents on the possibility of the NFL returning to Los Angeles. It's really amazing that the Los Angeles market has gone without an NFL team for this long, don't you think? It's crazy. And having grown up there, and in the 80s, I will admit, I was a Rams cheerleader at Anaheim Stadium from seven. So I saw firsthand um, how awful the fan support was at the time in Los Angeles. I mean, that team rarely sold out the stadium. And and again, you know, during that period of time in the 80s, the Raiders were also in Los Angeles, and they were playing at the Coliseum. And it was a a pretty uh, regular occurrence that you would go to one of these games and see tons of empty seats. There just wasn't the fan base to support two professional teams in Los Angeles. If there was one team, and you know, of course, they've been talking about Minnesota possibly moving. If there was one team there that was centrally located, then then I think that that the fan base would support it. But it's it's kind of like every year they get into this discussion. You know, is there going to be expansion? Is the team going to move to Los Angeles? And it gets quashed. There's a lot of politics involved and money involved. And are they going to build a new stadium? And yada yada. And you know, a lot of teams that have professional sports are are familiar with that tune. Um, do I think that a team is going to move there in the near future? No. I yeah. If I had to guess, if I had to bet money, if I had to bet 25 cents, I'd say L.A. probably is not going to see a professional uh, uh, NFL team or an NFL team probably in five years. No, I tend to agree with you. Who was the quarterback when you were a Rams cheerleader? Was that Vince <laughs> Ferragamo? No, well, I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, sorry, old. I, I didn't mean okay, to uh, insult uh, you. Jim Everett would say Chrissy Everett. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Jim Everett, uh, you know, <laughs> Jim Everett to me, to Jim Rome, it's Chrissy Everett. I yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, it was the, uh, the but I'd like to say um, it was the Eric Dickerson era. There you go. Rather than the Jim Everett era. Well, and I lived down in Los Angeles. I told you that on email because I went to Loyola Marymount, and I remember yeah. going to the Coliseum and watching the Raiders, and it was the Bo Jackson era. And I remember yeah. watching Bo Jackson. What an amazing athlete he was. You know, it was amazing. And in that time, of course, the Raiders won a Super Bowl, you know, playing from the Coliseum, and they still couldn't sell out games. So, you know, it's a crazy, it's a weird fan base. 
It really is. Most people that live in Los Angeles are transplants, so they don't have the same loyalty that people do from other markets. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. Find Lisa online at lisaguerrero.com. And like she said, she's on Twitter at four, the number four, Lisa Guerrero. And that's how we connected on Twitter. So I can vouch for the fact that she interacts with her Twitter followers. You should go follow her now. I've uh, followed your career. And, you know, like I said, I was down in Los Angeles when you were there. So uh, you've done some terrific things. Congratulations on your success. And I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Hey, thanks, Brian. I really appreciate it. And best of luck. And um, I'm going to be following you, too, mister. All right. That sounds good. All right. I will. Take care. care. Bye. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. All right, we're back. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of Sports Business Radio. Again, we're looking for sponsors of our podcast. If you're interested, uh, please email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. We can incorporate your brand creatively into our podcast, into our Twitter feed, our Facebook feed. We've got lots of different platforms. We'd love to have you as a partner. So reach out to me at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at sportsbusinessradio.com. And we'd love to return to uh, a weekly podcast. But for now, we're going to have a monthly podcast. You can find me on Twitter at SB Radio. Brian Griggs, our executive producer, it is Take Your Child to Work Week. And you've got your little guy, five-year-old Kellen, in studio. I'm bringing my daughter uh, into work tomorrow. But uh, it's always fun when the little ones come to the studio. It is cool. It's fun. Kind of makes it a, a lighter side of the biz, you know, and, and lots of fun having kids running around. And we even have a dog in the studio today. Yeah. Not in my studio, but running the halls. So that's kind of fun. Yes, yeah, Scout. Scout the dog, the mascot here. And uh, yeah, it's cool. You know, I, I was telling you off the air that uh, I remember when I went to work with my dad when I was little, it's just one of those things you're like, oh, this is cool. And you remember, I remember like eating mints out of his little candy drawer. Yep. And I was like six years old. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's good for kids like Kellen, to see parents in the workplace because they just see him as parents. So like, hey, let's go see what mom or dad is doing in the workplace. And maybe there's a lot of kids that follow in their footsteps of their parents and pursue the same career. And hey, it's uh, it's a good thing. So when you can take your child to work, do it. Yeah, it's good. And he's been awesome. He's been sitting here for a half hour completely quiet. So I think there's some candy in his future or something. Fun. Oh, yeah. He's a well-behaved young man. And I hear there's pizza for lunch. So that's uh, that's yeah. excellent as well. Thank you to Jason Cole, 
of Yahoo Sports ran Gatlin of Yahoo Sports, Akili Smith, former NFL quarterback, Dr. Paul Dennis, our resident sports psychologist, Morgan Bear from Casal US, and Lisa Guerrero from Inside Edition. Great to catch up with all of them this week. Uh, a podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just click on the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes. We'd appreciate it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Thank you to our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. Special thanks to Kellen Griggs this week for all of his help. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.